You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. So hello and welcome to Unquirking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today I'm going to introduce you to Kendall Smith, author of Rookie Father, a playbook for men experiencing fatherhood for the first time. And boy, I could have used that in 2002. Kendall's work uh, also includes self-help, fiction, and satire. He's a dedicated father and husband living in New Jersey. His core focus is fatherhood and providing relevant, pragmatic advice to new dads. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Kendall Smith. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. All righty. So I'm curious, Kendall, where does your story as a writer begin? Well, I, I've been, I've loved writing since I was a kid and I actually had a um, eighth grade teacher on my graduation from middle school who gave me a blank book and it was filled with blank pages and she inscribed in it, you got a talent for writing, keep doing it. And I came back to it when I was 34 and penned my first thriller and I've been, I've stuck with it since. It's just one of these hobbies that I've worked on and, and built up my skill set that I've, uh, I've loved and enjoyed doing for, for years now. You know, it's so interesting that you say, you know, you had somebody kind of encourage you. I, you know, that, that's one of the themes that I, I hear so often is that somewhere in someone's life, and usually it's early on, like grammar school, you know, they say, you know, I had a teacher who saw something in me and they took me aside and they said something. Um, the guy I just interviewed, um, that happened to him. And, you know, you're, you're going to love this. The person who encouraged him was none other than Wally Lamb, who, you know, big Oprah book club, she's come and done. Um, And I'm like, wow, that's, I mean, getting encouragement from someone like that is is pretty amazing. But, but encouragement, you know, for authors, for writers, so important, isn't it? It is. And then once you start dabbling in it and you start again, experiment, experiment, different kinds of stories and um, it starts to kind of build momentum. And what I found is, is for me, is the more honest and open I was in what I wrote about in the nonfiction space, the better. It just mm-hmm. felt um, cathartic on some level. And there's, in this book, there's some level of redemption for me to get out on the table, what it was like to go up without a father and a pen advice that was helpful for men. Yeah, yeah, I wanna dig into that in a minute, but before I do, um, were, you, were you always a writer? I mean, was this your first profession? Um, did, you, did you have another hat that you were wearing uh, before, before writing books? I have been a white collar worker in New York City in different corporate jobs, in different marketing sales jobs my whole life. I still am. This is not this, uh, my day job. This is, I write at 5.30 in the morning and I get up and I write before my commute when I am commuting. And um, it's just, it's a hobby that's grown, but this is not paid. I, I didn't write this book for the money. I wrote it to, to help other fathers. Um, and there's 19 million of us that are raised in absence of a father. Mm-hmm. And um, that could use some practical and actionable advice when they become fathers themselves. Yeah, so I was curious, you know, it is a very specific book, um, sort of a playbook for men experiencing fatherhood for the first time. Tell me what, what so what was the really driving motivation behind, um, behind writing this piece of, of nonfiction? 
So my son was about a year old. And at that point, um, I had already written three thrillers. And I was just doing some soul searching, like, what else can I write? Let me change things up. Let me get out of the fiction world for a while. And what I started to do is brainstorm on, on, on all the advice that I had been given growing up um, out of just becoming a dad and, and loving the experience and the responsibility. And I realized you know, there's, there's nothing out there that gives, first of all, there's not a lot of content uh, advice books for men, for new dads. And then from my perspective, what can be unique is that I didn't have a blueprint from my father growing up. Uh, I had to figure that out on my own. So how can I have other dads do the same thing? And that's what kind of inspired it. And then it, it continued from there. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to say, you know, kids um, and, and, you know, you're speaking to the, the father of triplets here. Um, they don't come with instruction manuals. Right. So, you know, right. I, we went, my wife and I went from, from having zero kids to three kids, literally in the span of three minutes, you know, 207, 208, 209 in the morning. Um, and, you know, you're, I mean, the best we had, you know, at our disposal was like the um, lessons our parents taught us. Right. And we had, you know, their behavior to model after. Um, but as you point out, not everyone grows up in two parent households and certainly not everyone grows up with, with a dad present. So what were, you know, what were some of the lessons you learned, um, as you were researching, you know, doing research for this book? One, that patience is the, is the top priority. You have to exude patience when you have kids. Two is that you've got to be a, 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 a sponge to absorb as much advice and suggestions as you can get. So the more family you can bring into, into the tent, in-laws, relatives, get their perspective, get their help. Um, every parent does it with the absence of a plate with, a, with an instruction manual. So you're figuring things out as you go along. But it's also, um, it's also unique when you never parented yourself and you get past year two, year three, and all of a sudden, like, now you're, you're a role model. Um, you're not just there to change the diapers. You're not there to do a feeding at 3 a.m. in the morning. Like, you get more involved, and your, your role as a role, the role model that you, that you are, it, it, it magnifies as you go through your child's life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to an author a couple of weeks ago who wrote a book, um, you know, nonfiction on... Um, sort of healing, um, kind of healing from attachment wounds. Um, you know, it's called, it was called healthy adult. And it was really kind of exploring, you know, we all attach in, in different ways. Right. And, and we learn that from the ways we attach basically to our parents. Um, so I'm curious, you know, when, um, when you were kind of writing this book, were you, I mean, did you have any hypotheses in mind as, as you were kind of going through it? Um, you know, did you have any, any, any things that, that you were trying to, I don't want to say prove, but any points you were trying to support? The number one thing that my goal was uh, when I started was to be there because every day have, have a role, uh, in my child's life, <clears throat> support my wife, um, be as present as you possibly can. And now with COVID we're here all the time. So, um, which can be a cash 22 sometimes, but that was the core philosophy I wanted to bring because my dad was not around. From the age of six, my parents separated. He moved to Florida. They were divorced when I turned nine. And it had an impact on me. But I just thought, okay, by sticking around and, and being ever-present and learning from my own mistakes, um, every parent does it. And if you continue to make the same mistakes again and not learn from it, it that's the definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get a different outcome. So you have to learn and adapt as you go along. Yeah. Um, as you were writing this book, 
Um, did you interview anybody? I mean, did you talk to like other fathers? Did you, and, and I'm, I'm curious to know, like, and if you talk to people from like different generations, I, I'm really interested in like how their take on fatherhood may have been different based on sort of their, their own age. Yeah, the book consists of basically all the practical advice that I observed from dads growing up, from other dads I spoke to, different generations. So the irony is, is that some of the advice that I convey that I found useful, it's not even advice that I came up with. I observed it and I shared it. Um, my secret sauce is how I convey it. And that's one or two page chapters. It's succinct, it's actionable. It's not a lengthy 25 page self-help chapter that no man's gonna read, doesn't have the time. And if you're a new dad, you have less time than any other man. Um, so that's kind of the, the crux of what the book's about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a smart sort of uh, decision you made having short chapters because, you know, hey, you know, just kind of being in the sort of publishing world, you know, now for about seven or eight years, yeah. um, it's not men who are buying books, right? <laughs> you know, most, most people, if you look demographically, you know, most of our buyers are, are women um, and we have very short attention spans. Um, so that's a uh, sort of kudos on that, on that, um, strategic, uh, decision there. Um, you know, but, but, you know, I'm curious as your take on, on, you know, fathers, you know, as they're portrayed in media, um, wow. you know, so, cause you know, I, I, I look and, and yeah, I mean, I have my own biases, but you know, I, I think I'm a very involved dad. Um, you know, when you, when you have triplets, like there's, you're on zone defense and there's no, you know, there's no, <laughs> that's awesome. Zone defense, I love it. You're on zone. And you so said, there's no, there's no man to man. Um, so, you know, very, very involved, but I, I look in, and see how dads are typically portrayed in, you know, sitcoms or, you know, TV media. Um, what's your take on that? Uh, how, how fathers are portrayed these days? It's a disgrace and not every show does it, but I have, have written about this. It's actually, I have a chapter in my book called, uh, shun the idiot father or media dad. And it goes back to Homer Simpson and you can go back to Griswold behind that and, if it's once in a while, it's fine, but the consistency, less so now compared to 10 years ago, but the dad was the laughing stock of the family. And then the irony is that people immediately say, well, you know, men aren't as involved as it used to be. Um, you know, they're not going to college as often. Like, maybe they're not motivated because they have examples that are poor to begin with. Right. So whenever I see a commercial, and I can encourage all of us to do that, to do this, is that when you see a commercial that portrays a dad as an idiot, you give the bird to the commercial and you disagree not to buy their products. And if you are so inclined, go on social media, tag them and express your displeasure at how they have a portraying dads and men. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And it's interesting, you know, you say, you know, there's a perception maybe that dads aren't involved now. I mean, I, I look at, and again, focus group here of one, but right. you know, I look at the, all the time I spent with my kids when they were, when they were younger, now they're 19 now. So they're, they're all off in college, but um you know, I, I did so much more with my kids than, than what my dad, and I'm not saying my dad wasn't involved. He was very involved. I mean, you know, lots of sports in the backyard, you know, golf and taking us things in the weekend, sports events, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, in terms of, you know, a lot of the stuff that my mom used to do, um, you know, I took on a lot of those roles. And, and I think I see a lot of like my contemporaries kind of doing similar things. I mean, I think parenting is a much more of a shared responsibility the way I see it in today's culture than, than it was certainly in, in a previous generation. Yeah, it's evolving props to you. And I think a lot of men feel that and you can see it. 
Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. And, and I think that also is kind of the reverb from those, the seventies and early eighties when divorce was rampant and that fifties dad mentality was still like in place and the expectations were, you know, I'm doing my own thing. You do your own thing. I think that's, we're seeing a lot more involvement and I encourage that. I also encourage though at a certain age, let your kids explore, give them some autonomy. Um, you don't want, if you're always involved with your parent child's life, um, they're always going to come back to you and you want to promote autonomy uh, as a parent. And that's letting them in the backyard, like do their own thing. Use their imagination off of, of the iPad, off of TV and get outside and explore a little bit. So that's yeah. something else that I've started to hone in on as giving Connor, my son, some free time to himself with his friends outside. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, I get, um, I don't want to say angry, maybe anxious is the right word. When I see like helicopter parents just kind of swooping oh, in, yeah. I even see it now, you know, we've, we've got three kids in college, two of them go to the university of Connecticut. One of them goes right. to sacred heart university. And, wow. um, we're members and my wife and I were members of, you know, the parents of the class of 2024 on both sides and just seeing how these parents are just interacting, you know, asking questions like, Hey, uh, my son, um, you know, didn't, didn't get enough food from the dining hall. This is a disgrace and we won't stand for this. And I'm like, why are you complaining about what's happening with your, with your kids or that they're trying to problem solve. And, and it just, it, it, to me, it's driving me crazy the way, you know, parents are behaving on these social media sites. Yeah. It's a great point. And then if you don't you have to again, it gets back to autonomy, stand up for yourself. Go back and say, I'm not getting enough food and like make, make a stink if, if encourage your child to make a stink himself. Um, yeah, I think how I've, I've seen the results of helicopter parenting when the kids get into their early and mid twenties and it's a train wreck. It's an absolute train wreck because they're coming back for advice every single day. Like, make some decisions on your own. Um, and that's why I think that giving kids enough encouragement to be their own person, um, there has to be a part of that um, on a weekly, if not daily basis, mm-hmm. so they can really self-identify and then tell them to stand up for themselves. So you talk to me a little bit about the differences between writing fiction and nonfiction, because, you know, I've talked to, um, you know, a few authors about kind of making that, like making that pivot. Right. So it sounds like you, you started off kind of writing thrillers. Um, you know, nonfiction is obviously it's a different animal. What's how different is the writing process for it? And, you know, kind of how different is the, um, almost publication process, if you could speak to either of those. So in fiction, your characters and your plot have to be rock solid. You have to have a good strategy. Um, The characters in particular, you have to really hone in on what are their desires? What are their needs? um, What are their ambitions? Um, Nonfiction in this sense, what I wanted to do is I started when I I sat down again, my son was a year old, this is about five years ago. um, And I looked at, what is the most pertinent advice I can give? How can I give it in a succinct manner? And I brainstormed and I literally came up with 50 different chapters. And as I went through the process of writing, I removed du- duplicative chapters. So it, was not, it wasn't wasted space. And then I looked at, okay, how can I group these pieces of advice under certain sections? And for me, it was, I, I removed myself as much as I could from the story. So the advice is conveyed in a way that the, that the reader can act on it. It's not, here's what I did. I was a great dad. And like, no one cares. Like literally I'm the last, I'm the least important person when someone's reading this book, the most important person is your child. 
and the advice is trying to give it's given in the manner that you can actually act on. Yeah. As you were kind of going through it and you were outlining kind of like your chapters, was there one or two that you were particularly passionate about, you know, that, that really spoke to you that you wanted to make sure that you really nailed? I think it was at the end, uh, two things. One was when you think about your fatherhood and you're just starting, you will establish a legacy for yourself. And when you leave this world, hopefully in 30, 40, 70 years, whatever, um, if you can look back in your life and do one critical thing uh, besides being present, um, you could establish a great legacy. And that one thing to do is, is to be able to communicate, express your feelings, be able to communicate succinctly, and just keep an open flow, flow of communication. Because the more that comes in, the more that comes out, it's greater stability in your marriage. It uh, promotes more honesty with your child, which is critical when you get to the teenage years. And um, it's going to leave a, a more positive, lasting impression than whatever you had if you grew up without a father. You could almost realign your lineage and your family in a much more positive direction. Mm -hmm. What what's the secret to communication? Because that that's something that that has been coming up a lot, you know, in in my personal life, but also in in some of these interviews I do, you know, where um, you know, specifically with men, have a hard time communicating feelings. I mean, this isn't new news. Um, but men have a harder time with vulnerability and, you know, it's increasingly important to show, I think anyway, to, to show our kids, our spouses, um, that we are not perfect, you know, that, that we have, um, sadness, that we have had failures, that we have, you know, that we battle with, you know, sad thoughts at times. Um, but men, I think in culture, we're, we're kind of taught to kind of hide that stuff. Um, any words of advice on, on being able to communicate our vulnerability more? I think the easiest thing, actually easiest, it's, it's a hard subject for guys because they have egos and you're in, almost genetically encoded, um, not to show weakness. That's just what we do that can boil up. And what happens is when, is that, when that boils up, if resentment builds, it comes across as a huge fight. And that's the worst thing that can happen between you and your spouse. So I have a section in my book called um, Empathetic Communication. My mother taught this to me when she was getting her master's in, um, uh, as a therapist, as a, um, a counselor, I should say. She got a degree in, in counseling. And that is if you can phrase how you feel in a way that conveys to the person what you're feeling in a way that is not too vulnerable, it's going to help you express yourself in a way that's not going to result in a fight. And what I do is if you can phrase it in a way as, um, honey, when you do this, it makes me feel like why, and I feel like that is a negative consequence. So I, in the book, I talk about a wife who's badgering her husband to like take care of multiple things in the house, and he has to shovel the driveway. And I say, okay, here's how to phrase it. You know, honey, when you tell me to take out the trash and straighten up the rooms, but I have to do shovel the driveway, it makes me feel like I'm letting you down when all I'm trying to do is take care, is prioritize what's most important, which is getting our driveway clear. And if you, at first when you do it, it's, it's hard to swallow, but then you'll see the reaction. And that reaction is it's an emotional response to how you're feeling emotionally. And that levels the playing field. And it's, it's a great way to avoid the, the, the huffing, the puffing, the yelling, the name calling, which can happen. And once you see your, the response, it helps to clear the air almost immediately. It, it really helps. Right. And 
that's uh, what I advise in the book. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great piece. You should give a seminar on this. <laughs> okay. There I, you go. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> you know, hundred bucks a head. It's it's brilliant, uh, and and you know, do some role playing. Uh, I think it would be, uh, I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah, I see. I can't help but notice the guitar in your background. Do you play? Well, I I can play acoustic, uh, all rhythm guitar, but it's hard because whenever I get looped into playing projects, uh, I'm a drummer uh, by trade. Okay, you know, drum, drums to me is like. It, it's my um it's my my golf per se it's my it. passion so i'm in a band called jacar and the noirs we're a cover band in northern jersey we're going to do a little global tour in about six different spots in new jersey new york in the summer but i can't get i can't get away from the drums so i'm not that good at guitar yet and I right i love i love the name i mean i can smell it you know i can just smell <laughs> that that takes me right back to high school yeah yeah it's i didn't pick the band name they brought me in as the new drummer and i just absorbed the name as it was and, and it is what it is so the, the previous fine. drummer didn't spontaneously combust like in spinal tap did, did he or uh <laughs> i rumor has it he did um but you may come back in the form of a ghost so we'll see what happens <laughs> very good um well i've got a few hot seat questions for you these are questions i ask all of my uh, all of my guests here and uh we'll see we'll see how you do they're, they're, they're not hard uh but some could be more challenging than others first up would be uh ken what was your favorite tv show when you were a kid Oh, interesting. My favorite show. It was probably Batman and Robin. Oh, the, 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 the old one, right? Adam West and um, who played Robin? Burt, Burt something. Burt Ward. Burt Ward. Thank you very much. Burt Ward. Yeah. All those villains were so great. You know, you had Cesar Romero, you had Frank Gorshin, uh, uh, oh, Mickey from um, from Rocky, uh, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. But the Catwoman was the one I would run home and see the Catwoman. Eartha Kitt. No, it was the other. Not one. Eartha Kitt. There were two. Were there two Catwomen? Two. There were two. The first one, and I'm blinking on her name, but I had the hots for her when I was six years old. I, I still do whenever I turn on the show. I'm like, oh my god, there she is. There she is. Wow. There she is. <laughs> it's so funny how Batman has changed so much from from that 60s show. I mean, I was certainly familiar with it to um, to like where it is now. You know, it's so dark, you know, and I guess maybe that's a lot more true to the character, you know, but uh, um, that show is certainly indicative of that time in, in, in history <laughs> in the sort of the 60s. All right. Batman and Robin. There we go. Um, question number two. How do you feel when you're staring at a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen when you're about to write something? Just start. Um, the more you think about starting, the harder it is to start. So just your first sentence can be end up being your third. It doesn't matter. Just get it on paper and um, and just be honest when you write. And that's what I did, what I did in this book. I, I literally re revealed, I hid nothing back in this book and it mm -hmm. helps uh, because it, it, it personalizes the story, for, I think, for the reader. Okay. Uh, number three, what lesson about writing or publishing do you feel like you had to learn the hard way? Um, that it is extremely difficult to get published. And don't do it for the money. Do it for your passion. And know <clears throat> that if your book is not picked up by an agent and you're not on a global tour to sell a million copies and you're buying a Rolls Royce you know, the, with the royalties, it ain't going to happen. Um, but it's incredibly rewarding and they're self-publishing now. I've self-published two, two novels 
that are still on Amazon. And it's, 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 it's exciting to get your work out there and just get past that first book and then more will follow. And then you, if you learn and get feedback from readers and you apply that, you'll be able to become a better writer. And I had to go through 10 years of that before I even like came close to getting published. Yeah. I mean, there are no, no overnight successes here, even though, you know, some people seem to come out of thin air, but I, I love what you say in terms of you, if you think about your, you think you're going to make a million bucks doing this. Um, you, you may, may want to reset those expectations. I have, you know, I have, eight novels out um and people in my uh in my industry i mean i work in the market research industry i moderate focus groups for a living um mm. are like we can't believe you're still doing this you know i'll run into people i know in like airports and and you know back rooms and facilities I'm like what do you think they're well you have all these books and i'm like are you i'm like i've got three kids in college i'm like <laughs> i'm like i will be asking people about dub soap for a very long time i write at 5 30 in the morning and i have my day job I'm taking today off from work and um, I'll be back at it Monday at 9 a.m. Um, okay. in the new job. And I'm, I do not see my, foresee myself quitting, but when I'm writing, it's it's early so I can get it done during the day or in the right. morning. Right. Well, this could be a build on, on your previous response, but um, you know, what's the best piece of advice you could give to an aspiring author who's looking for advice? Sure. One of the books that I read after I wrote my first novel, was called On Writing by Stephen King. If you want to start, read that book first. The first piece of advice he gives is you need a toolbox and a skill set to go into writing. If not, your grammar, your sentence structure, all of these little flaws are going to pop up in your manuscript and you're going to spend eons editing it down. And eventually you're going to have to hire an editor at a very high price to do your work. You have to, it's a craft that you, do, you have to do consistently. And you also need to read. So if you want to write a great thriller, read the top 20 thrillers of all time. Get them in your head. See how they process. There's a narrative to each kind of genre of writing that you can follow and make your own, of course. But if you stray too far from it, you're not going to be picked up and you're not going to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Ex excellent piece of advice. You know, the best, you know, if you're not a reader um, and you want to be a writer, uh, you're, you're, um, you've got your work cut out for you, <laughs> you know, um, when I was, uh, when I was looking for, um, you know, an agent, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to, um, talk to a few editors and their first question to me was always, so who do you like to read? I mean, everyone asked me the same first question and, and I am a reader. I mean, I've been an avid reader since I was a kid, yeah. but, um, yeah, that's that's like their first that's like their first, um, you know, it's 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 their first clue as to whether or not you you might be, um, you know, the real deal or not. Um, so I totally agree with you on that. Uh, this last one is my my uh, I call it my Brad Paisley letter to me question, because uh, if you're familiar with that song, he writes a letter to his, his younger self and he gives himself advice. Yeah. So if you could write a letter to your younger self, Kendall, um, what kind of advice would you give to your younger self? Doesn't have to be about writing, could be about life in general. I think it's that I would tell myself, bear in mind that whatever you endured in your childhood, watching your parents separate, divorce, um, a new child represents a clean slate. And you can, you can craft your, father, your, your path of fathering however you'd like. And um, be patient and know that your child, it, it's, it's a fresh start and you can correct a lot of the imbalances that you experienced 
when you get later in life and become a dad yourself. Did you, um, I mean, that response just kind of begs the question. Did you ever wind up having a relationship with your birth father? Nope. We, uh, we moved out in 12. We, I was estranged with him since the age of 13. I saw him once when I was 17. And then he essentially wrote me out of his life and vice versa. And there was no healing that before he passed away. Oh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That's how that, that part of the story ended, but, uh, um, yeah, it was tough. Uh, it was tough, but it, it is what it is. And you just got to move forward. And it's, I think it, when you become a parent, you don't have a lot of time to self-reflect on, um, what you went through. It, it kind of boils up and you have to address it. Um, if you're in the same role that I was growing up and when I became a dad and you do, it's extremely healthy and extremely progressive. And um, the interesting thing also is now that I've been a dad for um, six plus years is that uh, those feelings of anxiety and like regret, they, they come up less and less often because you're a dad every day and you're doing something fun and like you're taking your son to the beach. I took him up to, um, to uh, upstate New York this summer. We did a, son da a daddy son trip. It was awesome. And like that kind of stuff starts to build and it, it's you have warmer and fuzzier memories of family the older you get in life if you continue to do that with your kids. Yeah, very good. Well, uh, Rookie Father is the book, a playbook for men experiencing fatherhood for the first time. You know, I'm conscious of the fact that, I mean, we're not, you know, we're still in February as we're recording this. Uh, June is far away, but Father's Day will be coming up at some point. Uh, it sounds like it'd be a perfect book to give an expectant father for Father's Day. Uh, tell me, where can people buy the book if they wanted to buy it today? Sure. It's available at all national and local booksellers. You can order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I encourage people, go to local bookstores, support your, your local businesses. Um, you can go to uh, therookiefather.com. All the retail links are there, the endorsements. You get a lot more information. And then you can, hook, you can look me up on, on Facebook, The Rookie Father. Same address for Instagram. And I'm author Kendall on Twitter. All right. Very good. Kendall, it was very nice talking to you. All the best with the book. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate it.